Story number one. Humans are weird. Have a nice trip. Written by Betty Adams. Human friend Steve. Rolserand asked cautiously. The human had just folded himself around a piece of furniture called a chair and was staring intently at another human across the room. Human friend Steve was also vibrating. This might be a sign of either distressed or suppressed humor. The way that his face was warped, revealing a disturbingly sharp, flesh-rending teeth, suggested the latter. But Rolls around, wanted to be sure. Yes, Rolls, human friend Steve replied without turning his eyes away from the other human. Are you amused? Rolls around asked. I am sure about to be, human friend Steve replied, his entire body hitching up as he suppressed his laughter. Pardon my ignorance, Rolls around pressed. You are displaying symptoms of humor now. Are you not amused? Human friend Steve glanced at him, and the ring's exposed muscles and his eyes relaxed in the sign that his focus was turned towards his core. Well, he said slowly, I did a thing that will result in me being amused, so I am forecasting the result of my actions in my head, and amused at that, anticipatory amusement, I guess. May I ask what that action was? Rolserad asked so that I may share in this anticipatory amusement. A muscle rings tightened again, and the human friend Steve focused on him, and the vibration stilled as he turned thoughtful. Better not, human friend Steve said slowly. Plausible deniability and all of that. Just enjoy it when it happens. Human friend Steve's eyes and attention turned back to the human that he was watching, and rolls around mulled over his words. Their underlates and appendages tightened and concerned. Human friend Steve, he finally asked, Do you mean... His question was cut off as the other human stood, and the slow, constant fall that formed the species' distinctive locomotive cut to one swift fall to the human's massive body impacted the floor with a shock that was probably felt over the entire base. The human gave one and two gasps of air. I'm fine... The human announced to the room at large, Fine! Human friend Steve was bent over, laughing and slapping his legs. The human normally speaks in a much lower register, Rosserand noted. Perhaps their self-diagnosis is faulty. Really, the human gasped, I'm fine! His voice quickly lowered to its normal pitch, but it suddenly increased in volumes. Stag it all, Steve! The other human roared as he struggled into the sitting position. Can't prove it was me. Human friend Steve sang out with a cheerful tone. Besides, you wear lace-up boots in this day and age. You have to expect the consequences. I'll show you consequences, the other human positively roared as his fingers worked to tie his boots. See you around, Rolls, human friend Steve called out as he rose from his chair. I suddenly feel that the other side of the base is much healthier at the moment. End of story number one. Story number two. Humans are weird. Watch your poison. Written by Betty Adams. This species alone can make this planet into an entirely different classification, Kultich was saying with delight. Look at the protein profile. Why, even the howled rats could draw sustenance from this plant and with little effort. So, what's the poison? The human asked idly as they stared at the glowing display of flower on the screen. Koltich turned to regard the human, awaiting further clarification. 
The human was intently studying the Corolla, however, and the seconds ticked by while past the Trisk standards of politeness before the human noticed that Kultich hadn't responded yet and glanced down at him. The human's face was expectant, the nutritional anthropologist realized. Forgive me, Kultich said. I don't understand the question. What poison does the plant carry? The human asked, gesturing to the delicate flower on the display. I have just listed off its entire nutrient profile, Kultich stated in confusion. There is nothing in that plant that either your species or mine would find poisonous. No poison? The human asked, his expression broadening in surprise. None at all. No, Kultich replied, after letting a normal six seconds pass by. Why would I suggest a plant known to be poisonous? But with a profile like that, just so much good stuff in all one place, the human interrupted him and then paused with a frown. Oh, is it fiber then? Did you just interrupt yourself? Kultich demanded after a moment. What? The human asked, staring at him, the soft, fleshy eye coverings shattering rapidly over his eyes. They were stared at each other in confusion, one moment before Kutolch gave up. Fiber, Kutolch fixed the last item to make some sense. Yes, it has the normal amount for a terrestrial species. I have listed it here. Nah, the human interjected with a frown. That's not it. That's not nearly enough. Kultich tried to process what the formulated question to ask, but the human went on. Thorns, then, the human asked. Thorns, Kultich asked, raising an appendage to request clarification. The plant, the human said. Does it have thorns? No, Kultich replied. I examined. Hairs, then, the human pressed. Enough hair will do it. Kultich realized that with a spark of hope that he was missing a vital component of whatever the conversation the human thought they were having. If he could only find what the human was truly after. No, no hairs. The human concluded focusing on the stem. It's got to be here somewhere. Maybe geographical defense, then. Does it only grow in the super remote places? It grows commonly over a majority of the land masses, Kultuch stated, but a light was dawning on his thoughts. Maybe just a little toxin on the leaf tips, the human was muttering as he turned the image this way and that. Human co-worker Bob, Kultuch began, why are you so convinced that this plant must have some drastic defense mechanism? Because there is no such thing as a free lunch, the human said, his face stuffing into a grim look. No plant makes itself this nutritious and delicious without defending itself from predation. Trust me, there will be bombs or toxin-tipped spines or something. Kultuch pondered this and he began to composing a note. Paranoia was really outside of his field, but the psychologist would be glad for any observations. End of story number two. Story number three. The Clockmaker. Written by Narodnea Toast. Nobody could tell you when the clockmaker first set up shop. He's always been there as far as I remember. Asking more specifically would earn you some odd looks and suspicion stares from other townsfolk. Visitors quickly learned to avoid questioning further lest they find themselves ejected and lost in the surrounding wilds. The town in which he resided had no name. The houses rippled with a certain strange shimmer. They vanished from the corners of eyes in the twilight, 
revolving and reshaping themselves in the moments between thoughts. They've always looked like that. Are you feeling all right? One could swear that the entire town was ticking along with the same unknown beat, and sometimes visitors would hear the ticking in the dreams. The longer one spent, the more the clocks and watches they would begin to see. Despite the town's eccentricities, it was known to be open and welcoming. Children would wave at you as you walked down the main street. A smile directed towards the local rarely went unanswered. The clockmaker was always in his shop, from the rising of the sun to the rising of the twin moons, in the snow and the rain and the prickly heat of summer. In celebration and in sadness, he was always busy. There were actually new clocks to make. Peering through the grimy window, one could see him bleeding over his newest project, fiddling with the gears and screws and a variety of strange items with no name. There was always more clocks to fix. Even the clockmaker could not fix everything, however. Sometimes the damaged watches or timepieces or grandfather clocks were too damaged, and the clock monster would smile sadly and shake his head. Those were always days of mourning. In the evening following a failed repair, he would attend a funeral of the recently departed member of the town placing the remains of a broken clock on the top of the coffin before it was lowered into the earth. That was the only time he was ever seen outside of his shop. He would shake the hands of the bereaved families, offering his condolences. Afterwards, he would return. There were always more clocks to make. This delicate existence, like all things, could not last forever. A group of humanoid aliens packed into a single small ship marked the watershed. They had heard the rumors about the strange town and the strange inhabitants. They wanted to see it for themselves. Like many who pursue ends without regards to means, they were greedy in their need. They, unblinking, would have offered no kindness to the locals, not that they were given the chance to. This ship was greeted by an ethereal silence. A mist descending on the town as the aliens stalked their way up the main street, towards the clockmaker's shop. They wanted his knowledge, his strange powers over times and the threads of lives, his expertise. The clockmaker was waiting for them. He was not sitting at his desk fixing clocks. He stood in front of his shop. He smiled as they approached. I knew you were coming. You seem rather interested in my little shop. He held out a watch in his hand. It was beautiful, ornate. A gold and copper, a carefully polished gloss over the delicate hands of the clock face. No response at first. Then the leader of the alien group stepped forward, all bravado and threatening body language. We know of your strange powers, clockmaker. We would like to see them for ourselves. Hmm, the man tilted his head slightly to one side. I merely fix things, gentlemen. To search so violently for what you seek means that you may never find it at all. Nonsense. My value lies in the community I serve. Speak to them if you wish to understand. The alien pulled a small gun from nowhere, pointing it at the man's head. Tell us the source of your power. Now. The finger hovered over the trigger. Terribly sorry. A simple, short response. I must be on my way. Goodbye for now, gentlemen. 
The gun fired, the crack of the bullet reverberating off the surrounding houses, startling those peering through the cracks and closed curtains. The man fell backwards and landed on the ground with a soft thud, blood pooling around his shattered skull. The watch in his hand fell to the ground. The second hand had stopped ticking. Search the shop. The single command, the aliens barged into the clockmaker's shop. The sound of dozens of clocks and watches, all ticking in perfect harmony, greeted them. They searched every corner and a crack, but found nothing aside from the seemingly endless gears and screws and all manner of strange small objects. The invaders, of course, had made a terrible mistake. The neighbor who saw the clockmaster fall ran to her neighbor, who ran to two more, and so on, until the entire town knew what had occurred. Within minutes, the town had rallied into a single, extremely angry group, and they began to advance to the clockmaker's stall. Each one held aloft a small, ornate watch as they marched in perfect step. The invaders had pistols, but the townsfolk were not afraid. They had access to powers far more ancient, ones with which were forged in the crucible of the universe and rediscovered by a lone, intrepid human many moons ago. The bullets emerged from the invaders' barrels and seemed to slow midair. They stopped and then fell to the ground, aged beyond any use. The children threw stones. Those stones reverted to their primordial form as they sailed by the alien group, taking on the heat of lava and then exploding, which burned the battered and now terrified aliens. They were, of course, driven from the shop. They were forced back down the main road, the only route away from the onslaught. As they ran, a roar of a community deeply wronged rung out throughout the town and the mountains and the valleys beyond, and nearby animals all paused for a brief moment, shocked into stillness at the power of what they had heard. And the aliens themselves seemed to age rapidly as they ran for their ship, patches of hair turning white and wrinkles appearing on their faces, arms, and hands. After that, no more invaders visited the town. None would dare. The town still exists to this day. It can't be found on a map anymore. It seems that these days, only the most of the lost travelers find their way there, always greeted by smiles and offers of tea and cake. Lost travelers, in return, offer stories of their lives and their journeys. All who have stumbled across the town report a monument of bronze and steel towering above the town in the ruins of a building at the end of the main street. A small hollow in its base holds a small, beautiful gold and copper watch. The local legend tells that all who lay broken objects at the monument's feet, in the light of the full-twined moons, will find them repaired by the morning. And those lost enough in the darkest of nights, too lost to even find the town, swear that they felt the presence of a gentle, smiling man, guiding them to a place that they can call home for a while. Who are you? They would wonder aloud. Sometimes they would hear a response. The clocks of the navigator's displays going haywire. Just lending you a hand, keeping myself busy while I look for a new home. There are always more clocks to fix, after all. End of chapter